Uh, Matthew 8, 1 through 4, When he, Jesus, had come down from the mountain, great multitudes followed him. And behold, a leper came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you tell no one, but go your way, show yourself to the priests, and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. There's a man by the name of Daniel Kalenda who wrote a book, God's Promises for Healing and Hope, and he says, In my experience, this is the knowledge most difficult for people to grasp. They know that God can heal. They know that he is powerful. They know that he can do whatever he wants or anything he wishes, but what they're not sure about is, does God want to heal me? We see the same uncertainty in the leper who knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, if you are willing, I know you can make me clean. So it's not about whether you can, it's do you want to. Notice the arrangement of those words. If you are willing, you can. It's very different from the way that we approach a doctor. When it comes to medicine, the natural question is not about willingness, but ability. We never question whether a doctor wants us to get better or not. We can question whether or not this doctor can help us. Totally opposite from what the leper was having a question about and what most, most of us question about. Uh, in other words, we would say to the doctor, if you can, I know you will. So anyway, as he notes, we approach a doctor not with the idea of whether he is willing, but whether he is able. We often approach God with a very opposite concern. We approach him with the idea of not whether he's able, after all, if he's God, he's able, but whether he is willing. Yet the Bible teaches us about God in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, who is good, by the way, give good things to those who ask him? In our text, the leper approached Jesus knowing that if he wanted to heal him, he could. We've already noted so often, this is our, our hang-up as well, that we know he can, but is it really God's desire to do it, to heal us? To heal me. Perhaps this is the very reason why the leper story is recorded in our Bibles, not just to show us how the Lord was good to him, not just to make us jealous or to make us wish we lived in a different era. The story was forever documented because the leper's question is our question. The leper's situation is our situation. Jesus' answer to him is his answer to every one of us. I am willing be cleansed. But how can we know this for sure? How can we be certain that it's God's will to heal each of us? The Bible gives us three reasons, each of which centers on Jesus during his earthly life and ministry. Those three things are what we're going to be looking at, what we're going to be looking at today. The first is what he did. The second is what he commanded. And the third is 
what he promised. We're going to be looking at these actions of Jesus to answer the question, what is God's will for me concerning the subject of healing? Why should we look at what Jesus did, said, and promised to answer this question? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the express image of the Father, Hebrews 1 and 3, who very being the very brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power when he himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. In other words, when you see Jesus, you see God. You might say he is God. He is God, but when you see him and how he lived and how he acted, you see God visibly. Amen? Because Jesus also said in John 14 and 9, Jesus said, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? The scripture also reveals in John 1 and 18, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, Jesus, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, he has made him known, and we're going to say this, he has made him visible. These passages show us that Jesus is the perfect expression of the Father's person, will, and desires. Nowhere in Scripture will you, will you see Jesus saying, I'd like to do this for you, I'd like to heal you, I'd like to make you better, but my Father said no. You never find that. It's always Jesus and the Father were one. Their hearts were one. Their desires were one. Their wills were one. So when you see Jesus, you see the heart of the Father. So if Jesus did it, God does it. If Jesus commanded it, God commands it. If Jesus promised it, God promises it. With that in mind, let's turn to a small sample of Jesus' deeds his commands, and his promises about hope and healing. And in looking at those, at those we're going to see what God's will is for me, for us. So the first thing we want to look at what is what Jesus did. I've caught a, a few scriptures here, quite a few scriptures, but I want you to see from the Bible what the Bible says about what Jesus did. In Luke 4 and 40, it says, When the sun was going down or setting, all those who had any that were sick with various diseases brought them to him, who? Jesus. And he, Jesus, laid his hands on some of them, on most of them, no, on every one of them, and he healed them. It doesn't say he healed some of them. It doesn't say he healed most of them. It doesn't say he healed all of them, but the context implied that he healed them all. Matthew 14 and 14, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. Matthew 15, 30 through 31, then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, the blind, the mute, the maimed, and many others. How many of y'all, if you're not included in the first four, we're included in the many others, Right? And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he did what? Did he say, eh, not today, I'd like to, but Holy Spirit's not in the mood. Did he say that? No, he says he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw with their eyes the mute speaking, 
the maimed were made whole, the lame were walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. Acts 10.38 sums up Jesus' ministry, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went around doing good and healing some, healing most, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. By the way, what is the source of sickness and disease, infirmity and affliction? It's not God. This idea that God gave me this sickness so that I can glorify him is not biblical. The source of your sickness and disease is the enemy. And until you get that straight in your mind, you're going to resist what God wants to do in your life. God wants you to be made whole. How do you know that? Because Jesus, who is the express image of the Father, when you see him, you see God's will for your life, went around doing bad, inflicting people with sickness. No, he went around doing good and healing some. No, healing most. No, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. Luke 6, 19, and the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him, and he healed them all. Why does it matter what Jesus did? Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Malachi 3 and 6, for I, the Lord, do not change. So what I'm trying to get you to see is if Jesus did it 2,000 years ago, we can be sure that it remains God's will to do it today. In fact, the reason Jesus did it 2,000 years ago was to set a precedent for how he will continue to act, how he will continue to move through his people, the church, his body today. As you have sent me, I send you. He's praying to the Father. As you have sent me, I send my disciples. As you have sent me, I send you. Not me, Jesus, I send us, the church, to do his will. So the second thing we want to look at is what Jesus commanded. John 14 and 12. He says to his disciples, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these will he do, because I go to my Father. And what is important about that is that the reason that Jesus uh, said that greater works were going to be done when he went to the Father is because, remember, he went around doing good because he was full of the Holy Spirit and power. When he went up to heaven, he released the Holy Spirit to come down to us. And the same Holy Spirit that anointed him to do the works that he was doing now not only lives in us, but has come upon us and empowered us to do the same things that Jesus himself did. That's why it says, greater works than these shall you do. When we're talking about greater works, we're not talking about qualitative works. We're talking about quantity. Because now you just don't have one person empowered by the Holy Spirit going around doing good. Now you have a multitude of people empowered by the Holy Spirit going around doing good. In our last point, we touched on all that Jesus did when he came into this world to demonstrate the kingdom and to reveal God to the world. In this point, what we see is that not only was Jesus the revelation of God and his will to us, but he was also the example that we were to model. 
It was his command for his disciples as he was sent, so were they to do the same. Matthew 10 and 1, and then verse 7. We're going to, jump, we're going to read verse 1 and then jump down to verse 7. And when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of de- uh, diseases. And then he had some instructions for them. And in verse 7, he tells them, uh, summing things up, as you go, preach, proclaim, saying the kingdom of God is at hand, and don't just talk about it. I want you to demonstrate it. How am I supposed to demonstrate it? Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received, freely give. So one important thing here is that as disciples, we get to receive freely. What kind of things do we get to receive? We get to receive healing, cleansing, life, deliverance, and as we received it, so we can give it away. Amen? Luke 10, 1, and then verses 8 through 9. After these things, because some people say, well, that's just the 12, you know, that's, that's all the 12 apostles that are going to sit around the throne of Jesus. It's not for us. Well, let's go to Luke 10, 1, and it says, and then we'll jump down to verse 8 and 9. After these things, the Lord appointed 70 others also. And he sent them two by two before his face into every city and place where he himself was about to go. And he says to them, if you jump down to verse 8, whatever city you enter and they receive you, each such things as are set before you and heal the sick there and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So now we have two instances there of Jesus sending people out. You might say, well, that's biblical times. That's the 12 and that's the 70. But it's not talking about us. Well, let's go to Mark 16, verses 15 through 18. And Jesus said, after he resurrected from the dead, and he's given instructions to his disciples, which, by the way, how many of us are his disciples? Now, let me, let me clarify that. How many of y'all would classify yourself as a convert, and how many of y'all would classify yourself as a disciple? What's the difference? A convert gets saved and basically goes to church and does whatever the minimum he's got to do to get to heaven. A disciple does everything that Jesus commands him because he's all in. Jesus didn't come to make converts. He came to make disciples. Now, how many of y'all, if I asked you now, you would say, I'm a disciple. Now, remember, you don't want to lie in church. Why is it important to consider what Jesus commanded? Remember, that's the heading we're under. Because no one in his right mind would command something that was not his will. Someone might object that Jesus commanded the first disciples to do these things, not us, but that misses the whole point. Wait a minute, I never read the scripture, did I? Okay, let me go back and read that. And he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will follow my 12 disciples. Is that what it says? And these signs will follow my 70 disciples. Is that what it says? And these signs will follow those who believe. 
You might say, well, I believe in Jesus, and these things never happened in my life. Well, the first point is you got to believe in Jesus, but really the context here is not only that you believe in Jesus, but you believe that these signs will follow. Well, I don't believe Jesus does miracles today. Well, then you're not going to see miracles take place in your life unless God just sovereignly bypasses your will and does it anyway. But the reality is, if you want to see God do anything in your life, it requires faith. God's not going to save you without faith. By grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should both. Uh, uh, whoever, uh, uh, it says in Hebrews 1 and 6, for God is a, yeah, but how does this start? Hebrews 1 and 6. Marty, how does that start? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know what it says about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For who that would please God must believe that he exists, for he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There you go. I got it. So you got to have faith. If you, if you don't believe that God's going to do these things in you and through you or through the church, it's not going to happen. But if you do believe, there's a higher probability you're going to begin to see these taking place in your life. Believe what? That you're going to cast out demons, that you're going to speak with new tongues, that you're going to take up. Now, we're not talking, when we talk about taking up service, we're not one of those churches that pass around snakes. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about, hey, listen, when you go out and you preach the gospel and there are uh, 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 things there laying uh, in wait to try to stop you from doing God's will, you're going to have victory over those things. And if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Why do we pray for people at the end of the service? Why do we lay hands on the sick? Because we believe that if we do this, God's going to meet us there at our point of faith, at our point of obedience, and when we pray for you, you're going to recover. That's what we believe. Well, haven't you ever prayed for people and they didn't recover? Yes, we have, but it doesn't nullify the Word of God. I'm not going to lower the bar because of my experience. I'm going to do everything I can to raise my experience to the bar that Jesus has set. So there again we come. Why is it important to consider what Jesus commanded? Because no one in his right mind would command something that was not his will. Someone might object that Jesus commanded the first disciples to do these things, not us, but that misses the whole point of Scripture. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, it says in Romans 15 and 4. Everything Jesus originally applied to his 12 disciples, and that is... Uh, uh, originally applied to his original disciples, also applies to us as well. Scripture preserves Jesus' commands in order to apply them timelessly to every generation of disciples who believes. When Jesus said to his disciples in the, and when he was on the earth, you must be born again or love one another or go and sin no more, we would never think that that only applied to the disciples of Jesus' day, but not to us. Right? If we don't reduce Jesus' command in these areas, why would we think that we can do so when it comes to preaching the gospel and healing the sick? No, these promises apply not just to the first generation of disciples, but to every generation 
of disciples. In John 14 and 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you don't uh, grasp it that way, you will keep my instructions. You will do what I'm commanding you to do. And one of those things is to pray and heal the sick as we proclaim the gospel. So the third thing we're going to look at, we looked at what Jesus did. We've looked at what Jesus commanded. Now we're going to look at what Jesus promised. John 10 and 10, I have come, well, let me start, uh, I didn't put all of that in there, but the Bible says the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. There's so many people think that God has come to steal, kill, and destroy from your life. He has not. There is one enemy that God has, and that is the devil. Well, why is all this stuff happening in my life? Well, there is a scripture in the book of Joshua that uh, whenever the angel of the Lord came or the captain of the Lord of hosts, uh, Joshua said, whose side are you on, my, ours or theirs? And the captain of the Lord of hosts, which is a pre-incarnation uh, uh, manifestation of Christ, said, it's not, that's not the right question. The real question is, whose side are you on? See, God's not fighting a war against humanity. God already won a war against the devil. The devil is under judgment, but we have free will to decide which camp we want to live in. Do we want to live in the camp of the enemy whose doom and destruction is laid out in Scripture that there is going to be an eternal hell and a lake of fire reserved for him and all those who choose to follow him? Or do we choose to side with Christ, and with Christ there is life eternal forevermore? In this scripture it says the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. God didn't come to steal, kill, and destroy. God created everything good. He provided everything we needed. He, everything it was in abundance for all of humanity, all of his creation. Then why are we experiencing this? Because a serpent came and deceived the woman, and a serpent is still coming and deceiving the human race, and he's trying to tell us that he has a better way. But the scripture says the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy, but I, the Lord, have come that they may have life and life more abundant. What does that abundant life look like? Is it just having the assurance that when we die, we will live in eternity in heaven with God? I want you to know that's awesome. And if that's all there was, that'd be pretty good. It would. I don't believe, though, that's all that Jesus meant when he said life and life more abundantly. I believe Scripture teaches us there's more than just God being good to us when we die. I believe God wants to express his goodness while we're alive. Jesus went around doing good, not when they died. I want to do good to you, so let me kill you so you can experience good. Did he say that? Did he do that? No. He said <laughs> he was full of the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good to those who were sick, uh, dying, that needed healing, needed a, 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 a resurrection power in their life. He released the power of God upon their life to demonstrate the goodness of God in this life, not just the life that is to come. Romans 1 and 16, Paul says this. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. 
to the salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now, we know that. We understand that if we've gone on a church and the way we've applied that is that if you will give your life to Christ, remember the scripture I said before, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. By, by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I want to get saved. Why? Because I don't want to die and go to hell. I want to live in eternity with God. Yes, that's awesome. But salvation actually means more than that. It's from the Greek word sozo, and the word salvation should actually have the connotation of wholeness. It is the power of God for the wholeness of everyone who believes. What do you mean wholeness? It means spirit, soul, body, social, relationships, finances, every dimension of your life. Jesus uh, died so that you could experience wholeness in every area of your life. Not just, going, not just your spirit getting right with God and going to heaven when you die. And as I said before, if that's all we got, that would be awesome. But I'm not just trying to teach you part of the counsel of God. I'm trying to teach you all the counsel of God. And if you don't know that this is what Jesus has provided, then what we've done is we've limited it to just, uh, you know, getting saved and living in eternity with God so that we can experience the goodness when we die. We've preached that, and people have accepted that, and they've lived that. But what I'm trying to get you to realize is that the whole gospel includes more than just that. It also includes uh, freedom from, uh, from uh, uh, torment, for, uh, deliverance from the enemy, and it includes healing for your body. Well, what's the goal? How does this happen? For everyone who believes. If you don't believe that Jesus paid a price for that, well, how do I know? How can I believe in that? Because it's in, it's in Scripture. It's in the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So I'm trying to teach you. And sometimes, how many of y'all know anybody here a teacher in school? One, two, right? Now I'm going to ask you a question. Have you ever taught a kid and they didn't get it? Don't they teach you in teaching theory that sometimes you got to teach them seven times, eight times, nine times? you got to teach them over and over and over again. And one is because it's that repetition that's going to help them to see it. But sometimes you got to teach it in a different way. Or sometimes you might say it a different way. You might use a different example. You might approach a different way. But the goal is not, hey, I already taught you once. The goal is to teach it until people get it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing. Why do we keep teaching on faith? Because sometimes you don't get it the first time. Sometimes you don't get it the second time. Sometimes you don't get it at all until all of a sudden, all of a sudden there's one of these light bulbs that go off and you say, oh, now I get it. But the constant is you've got to preach. You've got to proclaim. You've got to teach because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Salvation is not just spiritual. It's spirit, soul, and body. Some of you may be battling emotionally, mentally, and you're thinking to yourself, this is all there is. This is how I'm going to live life. No, what you need is you need the virtue, the power of God to be released into your life, to bring wholeness into that area of your life. God wants you whole uh, in your soul, not just whole in your spirit. 
Some of you are struggling in your body. You've been struggling with things for a long time, and you're thinking to yourself, is this the way I'm going to finish living my life? Is this the way it's going to be? And you know what? Uh, the Bible teaches us differently. The Bible teaches that if we call upon the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. But what we're learning is the word salvation is not just for me to go to heaven. It's so that I can be saved, healed in my body as well. It is the will of God for me to walk in wholeness in every dimension of my life. And you might say to yourself, why have you been uh, calling to God? You've been praying, but you're still struggling. Because there's another dimension of faith we're not going to get into today that sometimes you've got to keep walking. You've got to keep believing. You've got to keep persisting until the, the power of God is released into your life. And you might say to yourself, well, are we fighting against God? No, you're not fighting against God. You're fighting against an enemy. Who wants to keep you from experiencing the goodness of God? And in your walk, in your persistence, in your endurance, in your steadfastness, there's a strengthening of your faith. And faith is of greater worth than gold, the Bible says. God's life is meant to permeate every dynamic of his crowning creation's being, and we are the crowning creation of God. Don't look at your husband or wife because you might change your mind. You might say to yourself, well, they were when I first got married. Not so sure now. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm joking. I don't look like I used to. <laughs> to walk in, it requires a knowledge of God's promises and the faith to appropriate those promises to walk them out in our lives. 2 Corinthians 1 and 20, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. For all the promises of God, it says in another translation, are yes. Is this God's will for my life? Does God want to do it for me? You think God would do it for me? Okay, the answer is yes in Christ. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to the glory of God. So I want you to see here there's a partnership. God's work was accomplished at the cross of Calvary. God's will was revealed to us through the cross, through the life of Jesus, the work, the ministry, of, uh, and all that Jesus accomplished. Now it's up for us to come into agreement with God by saying, Amen. Amen is not just something that we say when we're ready to eat and somebody's praying. Amen actually means, so be it. I confess, I profess. The word confess means I say the same thing. If God's word says it's my will to do this in your life, you don't say, no, it's not. You say, it is your will to do this in my life, and so I receive it by faith. I went through a period of time, and it's a little bit off uh, necessarily talking about healing as far as the body, but God can heal you in any dimension of your life. Maybe there's somebody here struggling with this as well. But I went through a period of time where I was battling with anxiety. I got, I think, an overdose of steroids. My, I couldn't sleep. I was really battling. And, um, you know, I, was, uh, I, I tried the doctor route, gave me certain medications. They didn't work. The medications that did work were uh, habit-forming, so I didn't want to do that. You know, and so finally I got to an end. I said, okay, I, I don't know what else to do. I had tried before, uh, but... But, but now I was at a loss. I didn't have any other option. The arm of man was cut off. And I said, God, I don't know how I got here, and I'm sorry it took so long, but I've got no other choice but to trust you. And I took my medications, and I set them aside, and I said, I'm going to trust 
you. And here's what I do every night. I say, Lord, your word promises to give sleep to your beloved. I am a part of your beloved. Some of you are born. Are you sure? Yes, I am. I'm born again. Spirit of God lives inside of me. I'm part of the body of Christ. I'm part of your beloved. And so, Lord, that promise is for me. So I not only pray for that, here's the thing, I receive it in my life. And I said, not only that, it also says in your word that you give sweet sleep. So I don't just pray for that, I receive that in my life. Well, anyway, that night, this has evolved over time, but that night I laid my head down and I slept for the first time without any struggles, without... Now, I woke up in the middle of the night, you know, but it didn't mean that I slept, and every, I've been sleeping ever since. Right? Why? Why were you able to do that? Because God met me at my point of faith. God met me. It was my faith, not in my faith that did it, but my trust in the promises in His Word. And I had to get all that arm of man out of the way. Well, man can do this. man. And I'm not against man. I'm not against doctors. I'm not against all of that. But my trust went primarily there, and God helped me to go to the right man to do this. Well, you know, God will help you wherever you can believe for. He's a good God. But when I didn't have anywhere else to turn, and I said, well, God, I, there's no intermediary except Christ. I'm coming to you, and he met me there. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're struggling with uh, a sleeping, or you're struggling with something else in life. I want you to know that Jesus Christ is your mediator. He is your healer. He's your savior. He's your deliverer. He's everything. What do I have to do? I've got to learn how to say amen to the promises of God in my life. Yes, I believe it, Lord. I know it. I believe it. And I receive it for my life. What are his promises? It's imperative that we know his will for our lives. Is this his will for me to be saved? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Well, how am I going to be saved? You got to call upon the name of Jesus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man uh, cometh to the Father except through me. You can't be saved through any other way. You can't be saved through Buddha. You can't be saved through New Age practices. You can't be saved through any kind of uh, Wiccan or you can't be saved through any of that. All of that will lead you to the wrong place. The only way you can experience the salvation of God is in Christ Jesus. It's imperative that we know his will for our lives. Mark 5, 36, as soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not be afraid, only believe. Mark 9, 23, Jesus said to them, if you can believe all things, you think God can help me in this? All things. You think God will help me in this? All things. You think God's ever heard of this? All things are possible to him who believes. Uh, one more uh, uh, illustration that I was thinking about is uh, when I was in college, I was in seminary, I was taking a Greek class. And we were learning Greek. Biblical Greek is uh, uh, the original language that the Bible was written in. Everything's translated into English from the New Testament. Uh, Old Testament was written Hebrew and Aramaic, New Testament and Greek, a little bit of Aramaic uh, thrown in there as well. So we were learning, and I had a friend of mine, we were a close, close friend at the time, and uh, he came to me one morning. He said, do you know that God knows Greek? He said, what do you mean? I said, God knows Greek. I said, you know God knows everything, but you're surprised when God knows the thing that you don't know. 
we were studying Greek. He said, I didn't know. I was lost. I didn't know what to do. I didn't have the answer. I said, God, what's, what is this? And God showed me what the answer was. God knows Greek. You know, God knows everything about you, about this world, about everything that's going on. The, uh, what does it say? The thoughts about us are uh, more than the sands of the sea. God's thoughts are infinite and they're good towards you, but he also has everything you're going through. He has a solution already mapped out. He's already made provision. He's already made a way. He's that good. He's that big, Right? Knowing the promises of God positions us. Knowing the nature of God, the character of God, the sayings of God, the commands of God, the deeds of God, the promises of God, the will of God positions us to believe God and cooperate in faith with Him for the manifestation of those promises in our lives. Mark eleven twenty two through 24. So Jesus answered and said to them, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now why is it that we believe that what we say will be done? It's not about what you want, it's about what he wants. It's not about, this isn't positive, confess whatever you want in life. Well, I like to have a big locket or I like to have a Rolls Royce. I want to have that. That is not what Jesus is talking about. It's so far away from the context of Scripture. It is about what is your will for my life? His will is that we would be healed, whole, saved. And His will is that we would be uh, set free. And so if we come into agreement with His Word, all the promises of God are Yes, right? And we take his word and it says, his word says this. This is what God promises for my life. And so I'm facing a mountain of debt. I'm facing a mountain of sickness. I'm facing a mountain of depression. I'm facing a mountain of affliction. And, but the Bible says that he's delivered me from them all. So what I can do is I can, in faith, believing what God said, like David did with Goliath, I can stand in front of that giant and I can say, you come to me with sword and spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord my God. And in the name of Jesus, I'm going to take off your head and I'm going to cut it off and feed it to the birds of the air I speak to that mountain in the name of Jesus and I said be thou removed and cast into the sea and by the way sometimes you got to speak more than once you know I say this sometimes it's that the Bible says submit yourself to God resist the devil and he will flee well you said I submitted myself to God and I, re I resisted the devil I took my glove out and I hit him on the cheek and he didn't flee well see sometimes what you think is that you think you're in a one-punch fight. But the reality is sometimes we're in a 12-round brawl. And we got to keep fighting. We got to keep coming. Well, I got knocked down. Get back up! Well, he got knocked down, but he got back up. Well, keep on fighting. How long do I keep fighting? Until, he, until what? Until, until we experience the victory that Jesus paid for at the cross of Calvary. He will flee. Some devils flee easier than others. Some mountains move faster than others. But one assurance that we have, if we will by faith stand up, submit ourselves to God, and under His leadership, under His guidance, under His uh, dominion, under His lordship, 
We will stand against those things that are coming. You will see those things be removed and cast into the sea. If you do not doubt in your heart, but believe that those things he says will be done, we will have whatever he says. Therefore, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Why does it matter what Jesus promised? Because the Bible says that God has exalted his name and his word above everything. He is not a man that he should lie. He watches over his word to perform it. He, cha he never changes. When he makes a promise, it is impossible for him to lie. God's promises do not change. They abide forever as absolute truth to anchor our souls. What we looked at today, as I conclude, showed us that Jesus is the perfect expression of the Father's person, will, and desires. Why that is important is for us to recognize and realize that if Jesus did it, God does it. If Jesus commanded it, God commands it. If Jesus promised it, God still promises it. And all those promises are not just for the disciples of Jesus' time, but they are for the disciples of today as well. They are for those who believe. They are for us too, if we, knowing the will of God, will but believe. Are there any believers in the house today? <laughs>